you ever lived in a family, uh, you've all seen this. This just happened this week. Sophie uh, wanted to get into Noah's room. And Noah, of course, walked right in and he locked the door. And Sophie's standing outside going, open up. No, open up. Noah's going, no, no one to open up. And, you know, the exchange ensues. And this goes on for a while. I'm listening in the other room. And there's an impasse. And then Sophie goes, no, daddy says open up. Let even take a second. The door swings, opens up, right? And, and Sophie goes in. They start arguing and fighting. Why did the door open? Why did the door open? Power of the name. The power of the name. The power of the name. Sophie came not in her own name, but the name of Daddy. The name of the Father. Certain names bestow certain power to us. Certain names open certain doors for us. Now, when Sophie says, Daddy says, when any child says, Daddy says, she's implying some things, yes? One, she's implying that she knows Daddy, that there's a relationship with Daddy. She's also implying that the relationship isn't just any relationship, that it's a personal relationship. She's implying that Daddy is quite pleased with her behavior, She's quite pleased with their behavior. Not only is she implying, though, that she knows Daddy, that it's a personal relationship with Daddy, but more importantly, she, she's implying that she represents Daddy. She comes in the name of Daddy. She represents him. That what she is doing is what Daddy would do. When Sophie says, when any child says, Daddy says, She's implying that she knows daddy, that there's a personal relationship going on with daddy, that she represents daddy. If the child says daddy says, and yet she does not know daddy, she does not know daddy personally. She does not represent daddy. She is using his name in vain. Exodus 27, God comes and says in the Ten Commandments of Israelites, you must not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For God will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. We all read that together. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Week by week, we've been going through the Ten Commandments. And by the way, I guess I should be encouraged that everyone I talk to has been telling me, this has been hard sermon series. It's kicking my butt. And I think it's kicking my butt too, actually. That's why it's kicking our butts collectively together. Remember who the Ten Commandments were given to Moses. Moses didn't go to the Israelites while they were still in slavery and say, if you obey these Ten Commandments, then God will deliver you. What came first? Grace came first. The gospel. Wonderful news. Grace comes first. God delivers them simply out of grace and unconditional love as an act of grace. And only after that, God gives them the Ten Commandments. And I've been saying this over and over again. Some of you, it still hasn't sunk in. God does not give Ten Commandments or any rules in the Bible, frankly, to say, if you do these things, then God will accept you, that God will love you, God will obey you, God will answer your prayers. 
God says, I enter into a relationship with you first as an act of grace. Then I give you these commandments. Today we come to the one that people have misused and misunderstood, maybe more than any other of the Ten Commandments. And you've already seen by my intro that you may not have heard, if you will, this interpretation of what this commandment says. Typically, let me ask you, when we talk about the third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, what do we normally hear it means? Cursing. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Bethany, hold on a minute. For people that don't know you, people that don't know you, they might have thought you were saying, oh my God, for someone saying it means cursing. What you mean by, what you're, what you're saying though is, yes, yes. Those of you that are new, this is our church. So welcome to the community. <laughs> Normally it means don't cuss, don't swear, which is hugely problematic for some of us because we've got a foul mouth and you know who I'm talking to. We've got a foul mouth, right? Christians, some of us don't mind dropping the F-bomb once in a while. This would be usually problematic if it meant do not swear, do not cuss. Some of us have been taught, yeah, do not use the name of the Lord frivolously. And that's a good thing. You shouldn't use the name of God frivolously. But I want to warn you in advance. I'm going to warn you in advance. I'm going to warn you in advance. This is going to be one of the most uncomfortable, difficult sermons we'll ever hear. Because I wish it meant don't cuss and don't swear. Because then we get off easy. I wish it meant don't use the name of God frivolously. Because then we get off easy. couple observations about what this commandment says. Number one, notice in the first two commandments, God speaks in the first person singular, but here God speaks in the third person. In other words, instead of saying, you shall not take my name in vain, God says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And the reason for this subtle shift is to call your attention to God's name. The Lord which is a Hebrew name, Yahweh. And Yahweh, of course, we know is the personal name of God as he revealed to Moses in Exodus 3. This command literally reads in Hebrew, you shall not take the name of Yahweh in an empty way. Two things. You shall not take. Literally means to lift up, carry, or raise. Importance. The emphasis is not saying the name. It's on carrying the name. It's on taking the name. It's on lifting the name. Secondly, you should not take the name of the Lord in vain or literally empty or literally in a deceitful way to promote falsehood, which is the reason why a lot of Jews understood this commandment as don't take false oaths. Literally, this commandment reads, you shall not take the name of the Lord Yahweh in a deceitful way. And one of the most frightening and shocking examples of what it means to take the name of the Lord in vain was uttered by Jesus himself in Matthew 7. When he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many of you will say to me on that day, and every time Jesus says on that day, he's talking about judgment day when we stand before God. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy, next words, in your name. And say it with me, in your name. Drive out demons. And say it with me, in your name. Perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, and I wish I could erase these verses from the Bible. I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. 
Jesus is talking about a group of people who on Judgment Day say, Lord, we're doing these things in your name. In other words, they're saying, we have your name. We've taken your name. And Jesus is saying, it's one thing to say that you have my name. It's one thing to say that you've taken my name. It's one thing to say that you have my name. It's another thing entirely to take my name in reality. It's another thing entirely to take my name truthfully or to take my name authentically. You must not take the name of the Lord in vain. Literally means you must not take the name of the Lord in unreality, deceitfully, untruthfully, inauthentically. If you're tracking so far, let's take a step back. Now let's not think about God's name. Let's think about taking any name in vain. And you'll see the weight of what Jesus is saying here. People love to use other people's names, yes? What do we call that in our culture? Name dropping. <laughs> Happened this week. And it's so annoying when someone does that. Do you know why? Because I do it. <laughs> People love to name drop, especially in a city like Chicago. I just, you know, it's just let you know, I'll drop a name. Just let you know I know someone famous. Just let you know I'm kind of, you know, associated with someone famous. Why? It opens certain doors for us, doesn't it? The more powerful the name, the more doors it opens. You go to a restaurant, and if you drop a certain name, you may get a reservation where you normally might not. People love to drop names or use names in a city like Chicago. Why? You use a powerful individual's name, it may open certain doors for you. And because names are that important, those of you that are attorneys know this. Because names are that important, our culture has certain laws to keep people from using or misusing people's names in certain contexts. Let me give you a really, really uh, a good example of how if you use a name, you have to do it in reality. If you say, I know Derek Rose. I had to use a, a, a sports analogy. If you, know, if you don't know who Derek Rose is, he plays basketball. Or the Chicago Bulls. He's <laughs> <Plays> basketball. <laughs> yeah, this is how I bounce a basketball. <laughs> if you sit up there and you go, I know Derek Rose, what are you suggesting? You say, I know Derek Rose. You say, you have a relationship with him. You have a relationship with D. Rose. Your behavior represents D. Rose. D. Rose is pleased with your behavior. You and D. Rose are like this. There's unity of mind and heart, and more importantly, when you say, I know the rose, you could back that up. If that person you're trying to schmooze into a business relationship calls the rose up and says, do you know this clown? Do you know this guy named Peter? And Eric Rose goes, oh, I don't know who was, I, I don't know who that is. I never knew him. You're using his name in vain. And people get themselves in trouble all the time because they use a name, but they don't back it up with reality. They don't back it up with the relationship. They don't back it up with the unity of mind with the person whose name you're using. If you're Derek Rose's attorney or representative in some way, and you say, I know D. Rose, you better be able to back that up with reality, meaning you better know him. You better represent him. You better behave in a way that pleases him. You better be of one of heart 
and unity of mind. Your name is bound up with his name, which means his reputation, his character is on the line. Let me ask you a question. If using another human being's name in vain is so serious that we have laws about it, our courts are filled with violations of it, and people's lives are wrecked by it, the question that the Bible asks you and me today is, and how much more wonderful and yet serious is it not just to use God's name, but to use God's name in vain. Let me get to the heart of the matter. Do you know what Jesus is saying in Matthew 7? When Jesus says she must not use name in, God's name in vain, he's saying if we claim to bear his name, you better have reality to back that up. Jesus is saying it's possible for people I told you it's going to be uncomfortable. It's possible for people to be Christian in name, claim to have his name, claim to have taken his name. But when Jesus is asked on the last day, do you know him? He'll respond, I never knew him. It's possible, Jesus said. To have the Christian in name, to have his name, to have taken his name. And yet, when you ask Jesus, do you know him? It's possible that on the last day he'll say, I have no idea what you're talking about. This is sobering. This is serious. The third commandment has little to do with swearing and cussing. We would be getting off easy, like I said earlier. It's saying that if you claim to have a relationship with God, there has to be reality to back that up. A lot of people think that they're Christians, people who call Jesus Lord, doing all kinds of wonderful things. And yet he says they're self-deceived. The counterfeit. Come on now. Come on now. Two things before I move on. Number one, some of you will walk out today and wonder, if I do my job, am I really a Christian? And I'm okay with that. Because God's okay with that. Can I show you a passage? 2 Corinthians 13, 15. Already the room is feeling uncomfortable. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. The other thing, and I need you to hear this. The other thing, I need you to hear this. Say yes if you hear me. The other thing is that when we challenge each other by asking, are you a Christian? Is your faith genuine? Do you really know Jesus? Is there reality to back it up? If there's even a hint of arrogance or pride in the person asking, it shows that that person asking is not a genuine Christian. Did you hear what I just said? If when we challenge and ask each other, is your faith genuine? Do you know his name? Are you in genuine? Are you an authentic follower of Jesus? If the person asking has even a hint of self-righteousness, a hint of arrogance, a hint of I am better than you, that shows that the person asking doesn't know Jesus. Do you know why? The ground at the foot of the cross is leveled. 
Not a single person can stand up here and point fingers and say, you get to come, you get to come, you get to come, you get to come. The ground at the foot of the cross is leveled. We all kneel at the foot of the cross and say, there's room for anybody. So I need you to hear me. When we say, when we say, are you genuine in your faith? Test yourselves. There has to be zero hint of self-righteousness. Zero hint of arrogance. Zero hint of I'm better than you. Do you hear me? You need to hear me. Is there anybody, if there's anybody here that's been hurt by Christians because they acted like they were better than you, I'm sorry. If there's anybody here that's been hurt by Christians because of their self-righteousness and judgment towards you, I'm sorry. That's not Jesus. It's not the gospel. But we have to come to grips with Jesus comes right out and says, the most disturbing and maybe controversial statements he has anyway. And I want to try to sweeten it, but I can't. Sierra, I, I can't sweeten this. You know what I'm saying? I can't sweeten it. It, it, it. There's no other way to go about this sobering set of teachings, and yet we have to come to grips with them if we want to. Can I just ask you this way? Do you want to live authentic lives? There's not a single person here that says, I don't want to live. I want all of us to live authentic lives. And if we're going to live authentic lives, we need courage. We need courage to look deep within ourselves, rigorous honesty, as well as outside of us. Jesus in this passage, Matthew 7, says there are three things, three things, three traits that describe people who claim to have his name but can't back it up. Here they are. One, orthodox doctrine. They have the right belief system. Where do you get that, Peter? They call Jesus Lord. When the Greek-speaking Jews translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek so they could read it and their children could read it, every time they came to the Hebrew word Yahweh, they translated it into Greek what? Kyrios, which means Lord. In other words, these are people that are coming to Jesus on the last day, and they're calling him Kyrios, Kyrios, which means Lord. In other words, their doctrine is solid. Their belief system is solid. They think Jesus is God. They're calling him the divine son of God. Their doctrine is rock solid. They call Jesus God. Their belief system is altogether. And yet, there is no spiritual reality. Martin Luther the famed Reformed theologian, went to seminary for years, <sighs> had Bible knowledge inside out. Theologically, would be able to blow anybody away. And yet, he had no spiritual reality until he was converted. Jesus, these people, they call Jesus God. Doctrine is solid. Intellectual belief system, spot on. And yet Jesus says, I don't know you. Second one. <laughs> Secondly, these people are emotionally engaged. <laughs> it's going to get progressively worse, okay, and hard. <laughs> they're emotionally engaged. Not only do they have doctrinal correctness, they're emotionally engaged. Where do you get that, Peter? They don't just call Jesus Kyrios. They say, Kyrios, Kyrios, Lord, Lord. In Semitic language, the way you emphasize something is different than the way we do. Some of you got emails from me when I want to emphasize I capital, italicized, bold, underlined, exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. 
people that have gotten emails, they're like, you sound like you're shouting over email. And I'm like, I am shouting over email. But in Semitic language, how do they emphasize this emotional intensity? They doubled. They doubled the name. Mr. Dan Rodakovich, book of 1 Samuel, when David loses son Absalom, says, my son Absalom, my son Absalom. Doubling of name. Jesus says to Martha, 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 Martha. These are people who are emotionally engaged and involved. They're excited about Jesus. They're lifting their hands in worship. They're weeping as they sing songs. And yet Jesus says to them, I don't know you. I got to say something real quick. Some of us think that we are genuinely encountering God in worship, corporately, we're not. It's possible to think that you are being carried along and encountering God when all that's happening is you are being influenced by an environment. I can't tell you the number of students in college who are part of organizations and ministries, and as soon as they graduate college, within two years, they just fall away. And when I hear their story, you know what I find out? What I find out is the emotional environment of corporate worship carry them along, and there was zero to none genuine encounter with God in their closet. You could be being carried along by an environment and yet never genuinely encounter God personally. Lord, Lord. And yet Jesus says, I don't know you. One more. I promise. Characteristic trait. Because Jesus just does one more. They're active in service. (laughs) I didn't know. I didn't know. I wanted to sweeten this up because, well, I can't. I can't. Not only are these people orthodox in their beliefs, they're emotionally engaged, but they're also very active in Christian ministry, incredibly active. Matter of fact, this is one of the most startling things you'll read in the entire Bible. He says, they're going, look, Lord, we're prophesying in your name. That means they're going out and they're preaching the word. They're sharing the gospel. We're doing miracles, God. We're healing people, which means they're helping people. They're giving. And you notice something. They're saying, Lord, we're preaching, prophesying. And Jesus doesn't go, liar. Jesus goes, you're alive. Jesus says, no, 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 you are. You're doing it. You're doing it. You're changing people's lives. You're incredibly active in ministry. Of course they're doing it. And yet Jesus says to them, I don't know you. I don't know you. He doesn't say, listen, listen. He doesn't say, I didn't know about you. He's not saying, who, oh, who, who are you again? You're not on this list. No, he knows who you are. He knows all the things. And then he says, I don't know you, which means we don't have a relationship. He's not saying, I didn't know about all the good things you did, David. He's not saying, I, don't, I didn't know about all the good, wonderful things that you've done, Susie. He said, no, I know. I know you, I, but I don't know And we sit and go, wait, what, what? Is 
there anything wrong with orthodox doctrine? No. Is there anything wrong with emotional engagement? No. Is there anything wrong with active ministry? No. Matter of fact, every genuine Christian will have these three traits. Every genuine Christian will have correct doctrine, will be emotionally engaged, will be radically active in service and ministry. But Jesus' point is, you could be emotionally engaged, you could have intellectual doctrine, you could be serving in ministry, and yet not know God. And yet, not have any spiritual reality. Let me put it this way. The absence of these things shows that you're not a Christian. The absence of these things. You can't be a Christian and not have correct doctrine. You can't be a Christian and not be most engaged. You can't be a Christian and not radically love your neighbors. But Jesus says you can radically love your neighbors. You could be emotionally engaged. You could have correct doctrine and not know me. He says, you're taking my name in vain. You're taking my name in vain. It's possible that both our doctrine, emotional engagement, be extremely busy in Christian activities, and yet there be no spiritual reality backing it up in your life. And I could, listen, this is one of the, I, I sat here and I go, okay, let me share a story that would illustrate this. And there were too many stories of people that I've known in 20-some years of ministry where they were emotionally engaged, active in ministry, said all the right things, and yet they're no longer walking with Jesus. Uh, what do we do with this? Some of you should think, man, I was so hoping that mean don't cuss. I was so hoping that meant don't. Are you taking the name of the Lord your God in vain? If spiritual reality backing up your claim, I have his name. I've taken his name. If I'm doing my job, all of us right now feeling really uncomfortable, I'm going, so what then does it mean? How do you take his name in reality? There's two things that Jesus says, and then I'm done. One, you ready? Say yes if you're ready. One, submission of your will to his. Oh, <laughs> I love you guys. It's so real. You guys are so real. Oh, man. You're so hoping I wouldn't go there. You're so hoping I wouldn't go there. Genuine spiritual reality has little to do with correct doctrine. Some of y'all, you could teach me a thing or two about theology. But you have, to, you have to submit your will to Jesus' lordship. Some of y'all could blow us away in terms of emotional engagement and worship, and you have yet to submit your will to Jesus as Lord. Some of you, oh, are active in ministry so that you wouldn't have to submit your life to Jesus as Lord. Well, well, <laughs> well, let's break it down. Let's break it down. Well, Jesus says what? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter. See, I don't do anything that the Bible doesn't say. Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but what? Only he who does the what? 
will of my Father. Listen, you guys, these people have intellectually stimulating faith. They have emotionally gratified faith. They have a socially redemptive faith. All the things that our world wants, we all want that. We all want to be intellectually stimulated. We all want to be emotionally involved. We all want to be socially useful for our culture. But Jesus is saying, he doesn't miss words, it's possible to want intellectual stimulation. It's possible to want emotional gratification. And it's possible to want social usefulness and not want God. You don't want God because if you do, if you really have God in your life, you and I both know that we have to give up our own will. And that's the telltale difference, friends, between someone who's trying to use God and someone who's trying to serve God. I talk to non-Christians all the time, and I hear this from some folks. Some people say, you know, I, I want the love people, Peter, that, that people talk about in Christianity, that the sense of love. I want the sense of meaning in life. I want all these things. And they see this. But I also want to be able to be in a position where I decide whether I tell the truth or not. I want to be in a position where I decide whether I'm going to forgive her or not. By the way, if you're a Christian, you don't get to decide who you forgive. I want to be in a position where I get to decide, Peter, whether I get to sleep with this person or not. If you're a Christian, you don't get to decide what you do with your sexuality. You don't. And people say, I want to be able to Christian and enjoy all these things, but I want to do all these things. Basically, they've never surrendered their will. They've never they're surrendered to to their rights to self-determination. When they go, I want the benefits of being a Christian, but I don't know if I want to give up my will, you know, because if I do, I don't know if it'll pay off. What people are basically saying is, how can I be happy and still keep control of my life? And Jesus says, that's impossible. Let me say that again. When someone says, I want to be happy and keep control of my life, Jesus says, you're going to have to go find another religion then, because that's not Christianity. uncomfortable in here maybe you're a christian you're going you know maybe i've done you haven't done any miracles lately but and you're trying to help people and some of you are sitting here going i'm a very good person god should be pleased with me because i'm doing so many good things i'm feeding people helping people listening to people jesus isn't fooled jesus is saying you're jesus is saying you're using your good deeds to go god keep your sticky fingers off my life Is what I'm saying resonating with you? Yeah, I know. Thank you for being honest. We use our good deeds to go, God, I get to control my life. This is older brother in Luke 15. I'm good. I'm obedient. I get to control my life. You don't get to tell me what to do. Let me say it as starkly as possible. In Christianity, you either abandon your self-will or you abandon your hope. There's no alternative. And I say it again, so it sinks in. You either abandon your self-will or you abandon your hope. There's no alternative. Jesus says in Christianity, he either gets your all or you're in control. Or you're using his name in vain. I love this story about uh, King Saul in 1 Samuel 15. Some of you remember this. God tells Saul, Saul, after the battle against the Amalekites, I want you to kill all the livestock, just destroy all the livestock. It didn't make any sense to Saul. By the way, a lot of obedience to God doesn't seem very practical. Can I get an amen? Can I, can I get an amen? 
a lot of obedience to God just doesn't seem very practical, okay? And Saul says, God, why? Why kill all the wonderful livestock? I could give it all up to you to sacrifice. So he keeps it. God sends Samuel. And Samuel goes along and says, Saul, where, what, what, what happened? What happened? And Saul says what? Well, I just figured I'd keep these things so I could sacrifice them. And I love this line. Samuel looks at Saul and says what? Do you remember? To obey is better than what? Sacrifice. By the way, when I was preparing this, I grew up on Keith Green. Does anybody know Keith Green? Big old white fro. Oh, that... He had a song called To Obey. To obey is better than sacrifice. I don't need your money. I want your life. Do you know what God was saying to Saul? God comes to Saul and he says, you thought I wanted the livestock. I wanted you. And by keeping the livestock, you kept yourself. Oh, oh, you think God wants your relationship. God doesn't want your relationship. God wants you. And by you keeping your relationship off limits to God, you're keeping yourself. Oh, you think God wants your money. You think God wants your money. Is that what this is about? God doesn't want your money. He wants you. And by keeping your finances saying, you don't touch this, you're keeping control. Oh, you think God wants your career. You think it's about that. God wants my career. God doesn't want your career. God wants you. And by saying, you don't get to tell me what I do with my career, you're keeping yourself. Oh, you think God wants your family. God wants your children. God doesn't want your family or children. God wants you. And by keeping your children and your family, Keeping yourself to obey is better than sacrifice. It's not about that thing. It's never been about that thing. It's about you. It's about you. God has you. God has all those things. <laughs> you take the name of the Lord in vain unless you're willing to say, I give up my rights to self-determination. I give up my independence. Show me, listen carefully, listen carefully, listen carefully. If you're serious about this, here's a prayer for you and me. God, show me what your will is and I will do it. I don't care how I feel. I don't care what my friends say. I don't care what the popular opinion is. I don't care what the experts say. I will do it. I will do it. Secondly, take his name in reality is the grasp of the grace of God. Submission to his will, grasp of the grace of God. What do I mean? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my what? Father. You know what a Christian is? A Christian is someone who obeys, who does the Father's will because you already know that God is your Father. There are only two ways to obey God's will. And I say this every Sunday. 
First is you'll be accepted and loved. The other is because you're already conclusively accepted and loved. And friends, do not make a mistake and understand the dividing line between these two things. Your whole life and eternal destiny completely rests on understanding this. You could obey so that you will be accepted and be loved. Or you can obey because you're already accepted and loved. You can do his will to earn his approval. Or you could do his will because you already have it. 1 John 3, 1. Behold. Everybody say behold. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished unto us. Oh, this is one of my favorite verses. And I always say this. When it says lavish, the image you have is, if, if it's humanly possible, standing under the bottom, at the bottom of the Niagara Falls. And that ginormous river and falls being the love of God. And just standing at the bottom of that thing with my arms open. Behold what manner of love the Father has, what, lavished. <laughs> Unto us. That we should be called the children of God. For that is what we are. The Apostle John says, and frankly the New Testament says, that many of our problems is because we're not beholding the love that has made us children. Behold, behold, free grace. Free adoption. Byron, is this good news? Here's an interesting fact. Do you realize that once a year, we live in a culture where we celebrate your sheer existence? Once a year, we celebrate that we had nothing to do with. Our birthdays! So they're going, what are you talking about? Our birthdays. Think about our birthday parties. We were never less competent on any day of our life than the day we were born. Do <laughs> you ever think about that? Our birthdays, when we were weaker, slower, dumber, slimier, least coordinated, least developed in our IQ, and of a higher nuisance factor than any other day of our existence. And we celebrated like we did something amazing. Why? Our birthday is called grace. And if you have 100 birthdays, do you know that you actually get a card from the President of the United States? Why? What did you do? You just didn't die. <laughs> Congratulations. You know what I realized, though? You know what I realized? When is the last time, when is the last time, when is the last time during worship, whatever, you were just blown away by the fact, I'm adopted, I'm accepted, I'm his child, I'm his son, I'm his daughter, and let's see, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do? Answer? Not a single thing, and yet the Father says, isn't this incredible? Behold, a manner of love, free grace. When is the last time that just blew you away? When is the last time you sat there and you thought, I have his name? I have his name. I have his name. What'd you do, Peter? Diddly squat jack is what I did. And yet, I have his name as a gift of grace. 
How do you take upon yourself his name? I'm going to end with this. Sissy, you come on up. John 1, 12. To all who did receive him, to those who believed on his name. See that again? To receive him, to believe on his name, to take his name is the same thing. He gave the right to become children of God. I, this is how I'm going to end today's service. Listen very carefully. To, to, I am directly speaking to some of you that are sitting in here going, I don't know if I'm a Christian. I don't know if I'm not intellectual, emotionally engaged. I'm doing a lot of good things. But, bro, I don't know. If I've taken his name. And then secondly, for some of us that are sitting here going, I'm a follower of Jesus, but man, I have strayed so far. I know I have not submitted my will to his. I know for a fact that I run my own life. I know for a fact that I'm the captain of the ship. I know for a fact that nobody tells me what to do, including God. How do you take on his name? Receiving Jesus Receiving Jesus as Savior requires you and me, listen please carefully, to renounce being your own Savior. Receiving Jesus as Savior requires you and me renouncing being our own Savior. You have to say, I'll no longer be my own Savior. He's my Savior. I'll no longer be my own Savior. He's my Savior. And some of you go, well, what do you mean? How do, my, how, how, how do I do that? How am I trying to be my own Savior? Here's how I want to end. Here's how I want to end. Because you and I are doing it every day, all day, trying to be our own savior. How, 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 how do I do that, Peter? Why is it? Why is it? If someone come to you, you get your entire week of, Kimmy, you're so awesome. You're so good. And then one person comes along and says, you stink. So bad at that. Why is it? Why is it that that one thing crushes us and diminishes all the other things that somebody said about? What is that? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, what, what, what is that universal thing in us that goes, like 10 people could be like, you're good, you're good, you're good, good. That takes one person to come and go, not so much. Well, what, what is that inside of you and me? It's universal, Krishna, it's universal. What is that? Well, let me ask another way. What are you striving for? What are you striving for? I'm striving to get into a good school. I'm striving to find someone who loves me. I'm striving for a good career. Well, here's a question. Well, why are you striving for that? Most of them go, because I want to be happy. Okay, here's a question. Why do you need that to be happy, though? Why do you need that? Why do you need someone loving you to be happy? Why can't you be content? Why do you need that career to be happy? Why do you need that? Why do you need that to be happy? Here's what the Bible says. You ready? The Bible says that the moment that we came out from the rule and reign of God, as God designed, the moment we stopped submitting our will to it, the moment we said, I'm going to be my own Savior and Lord, the first thing that happened was they became naked. And every single day after that, Genesis 3, we've been trying to cover our nakedness, cover our shame, cover the sense of things aren't right. And we do it with career, marriage, love. We do it, all kinds of things. It's a constant act of I got to earn self-worth. I got to earn self-importance. I got to earn. I got to earn so that I can look at myself. I got to earn, earn, earn. And it's so deep in us that 10 people could say, you're good, you're good, you're good. But one person comes along. Why? Because it reveals our nakedness for what it truly is. And so every single day of our lives, you and I reach for a thousand saviors smaller than Jesus. Thousand things. And you and I know they're smaller. Thousand things to go. This is my savior. This is my savior. 
Some of you are going to get up tomorrow morning and the first thing you're going to do, the first thing you're going to do gets to the heart of this. The first thing you're going to do, whatever that is, is to cover your own nakedness and go, I know I'm okay because of this. Do you know what a Christian is? Listen. Christian is not someone who just says intellectually correct doctrine. Christian is not someone who's emotionally engaged. Christian is not someone who's, Christian is someone who has genuinely prayed this prayer with their heart and their lives. Christian is someone who says, God, my intellectual doctrine is not all it's cracked up to be. God, my emotional involvement for you is cold. And God, the deeds of good service that I do is a way of covering up my nakedness to keep you at a distance. A Christian is someone who comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, Jesus, accept me. Welcome me. Not because of emotional engagement, not because of correct doctrine, not because of good things that I do. Accept me. Welcome me. Based on the fact that you died the death that I deserved, paying my punishment. And you live the life that I should have lived, the perfect life, earning for me righteousness. And the moment I say, God, I want to stop, I want to stop, I want to stop being my own Savior, looking to things a thousand things smaller than Jesus, looking to you, welcome me and accept me, not based on my works, but based on Jesus' Accept me and receive me today, today, in my nakedness, in my shame, today. Because I come to you, not on my merits, but on the merits of Christ. And the moment I do that, God, I know in faith that your value of life and your honor and your works for me is given to me as a gift. Have you done that? Have you done that? Have you gone to Jesus and said, renouncing... I'm renouncing the way that I'm trying to save myself every single minute, day of my life. I turn to you, Jesus. And some of you guys will sit here today and you walk out and go, that whole thing about giving up self-will, dude, I will never do that. I will never give up my right to determine what's right for me. I will never give up my what. Will you please be objective for a second? You're not free. None of us is free, truly free. Something we live for someone we live for none of us please be objective none of us in this room is truly free i'm independent you are not you're slave to your independence you're enslaved to something and the bible says whatever that thing is if you finally attain it through blood sweat and tears you realize your soul your soul is too big for that thing And if you fail at that thing, it will mercilessly curse you as a failure. And Jesus comes along and says, do you realize I'm the only Savior who, if you receive me, will cover your nakedness and your shame. And if you fail me, there's forgiveness. Some of you guys have been coming for the last four or five weeks to this series. And you're sitting and coming back, coming back, you're going, Peter, I want to believe, I want to believe, but I don't know if I can. I want to say this to you. The Bible says that even the, the, even the ability to believe is a gift from God. Why? Because if we could muster up some faith to believe this thing, we'd walk with the swagger. And a Christian with the swagger, they don't go well together. So the Bible says even the faith to believe has been given by God. 
So do what people in the Bible did when they said, Peter, I want to believe. I want to believe in this beautiful Jesus that you keep talking about. The Bible says, and the people in the Bible said, then pray and say, help my unbelief. God, help me. And the Bible says, amazing news is you don't have to pretend because God already knows. So admitting where you are and saying, God, I don't believe, but help me will be healing for you and free. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to pretend. Bow your heads with me. Today is not just a sermon to, 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 to take and just, I don't know if I agree, disagree. Today is one of those Sundays that for some of us will take days and weeks to unpack, to chew on, unpack and chew on, unpack and chew on. And as I'm always and continually saying, it's going to require courage and rigorous honesty to ask, am I taking his name in vain? I claim to know him. I claim to have his name. I claim to have taken his name. I am intellectually, doctrinally correct. I am emotionally engaged and excited. I am active and serving in ministry. Friend, brother, sister, is there spiritual reality backing it up? On that last day when you stand before him, will you hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Or will we hear, I never knew you? Have you submitted your will to his? Have you genuinely submitted your will to his? To obey is better than sacrifice. It's not about that thing. It's what it represents. And what it represents is the eternal cosmic battle between you and God, which is who will ultimately be in control. You? Or him. Have you grasped the grace of God? Are you beholding what manner of love the Father has lavished, lavished, lavished unto us that we should be called children of 